podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Hey everyone, before I talk with Brian Smoller to preview Saturday's big game for the women in the NCAA tournament versus Washington State, 10.30 a.m. on ESPN2, and give my kind of uh, you know wrap-up of the week that was the coaching search uh, after that, I want to tell you guys real quick about Athletic Greens. I've been, I've been talking about them for quite a while now. One scoop in the morning, it gives me everything that I used to get in my multivitamin, plus I'm getting probiotics, plus I'm getting superfoods. And again, you see it's green, you might think it might taste like kale or something. No, it tastes even a little fruity, and it gives me the energy to get going in my day. If you go to athleticgreens.com slash sports drink, you're going to get five free travel packs and a year supply of their vitamin D supplement that I add just right into my water every morning. I promise you, if you want to take your health, wellness, and honestly just feel better to the next level, check out Athletic Greens. Also, ColorCast. We had probably the most fun live show we've had since football season ended on ColorCast. We did it Thursday, this past Thursday at 7 p.m. I'm going to say this right now, and you're going to hear me talk about it at the end of the show. I think this is going to be a crazy week. Crazy week. I think we're going to find out who the next head coach is. But you got to stay tuned, listen to the end of the show to kind of hear what I think on that. But I, I don't know when we're going to do our color cast show. Just stay tuned. If things are popping off, I'm going to have quite a few shows this week. I'll let you know when I know. But stay tuned on Twitter, at Bosco's Boys, at Scott Wildcat. And I'll let you know when the live show is. But color cast, so much fun. Download it and get in on the fun. And now... Let's talk to Brian Smoller. The boys are back. And as you guys know, we've done a show a day to try to give you guys your coaching search fix. But as I've mentioned in a couple of the shows, there's a pretty big game at 1030 a.m. Saturday on ESPN2. So I thought I need to get the most interesting man in K-State sports. He calls it all volleyball, baseball, women's basketball. We've heard him with men's basketball. You know what? Soccer as well. And who knows? Maybe he's going to call a cross country meet sometime next year as well. He is my favorite human being who works for K-State. And he I'm so blessed that he's giving me some of his time. It is Brian Smoller, Brian. Uh, but before we do it, again, I, I wanted to probably try to get you on before baseball season started. But again, all the news going on with uh, both the basketball programs, they're on a five-game winning streak, I believe, uh, you know, taking care of Nebraska-Lincoln, Nebraska-Omaha. They got a sweep uh, before they came, or a sweep in the home opener series as well. After a little rocky start down in Texas and California, they're they're finding their stride now. How fun has it been to get back out there and call them this team? It's been a lot of fun. One of the great things about this team is there were a lot of unknowns after Jordan Wicks obviously went pro and had such a tremendous career and 
you know, you kind of wondered, boy, was everybody going to take a big step back? And, and starting pitching has been great. Uh, I think that hasn't been the issue at all. They have Blake Adams and Connor McCullough, and now Griffin Hassel have really pitched very, very well. And offensively, K-State's even better than they were a year ago here early. I mean, they're second in the league in hitting 293, second in the league in home runs. Dominic Johnson's fourth in the league in hitting the Oklahoma State transfer. He looks like a carbon copy of Deuce Vaughn. Uh, he's, he's small and compact, looks like a football player. His dad played football at Oklahoma State. And he's, he's just mashing the baseball right now. But so they're a lot of fun. Now, the bullpen's been a little bit of an issue, and I think that's what's kept them down. But until when I'm fully confident they'll get it figured out, they've got the hardest start to Big 12 play of anybody in the history of the league. They open up with four top 15 teams in TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas, and Texas Tech, and two of those on the road. It'll be very, very difficult. But if they can navigate through that, okay, they should be in good shape. They're a lot of fun to watch right now. Yeah, anyone who can get out to the diamond, we're going to I, – I, I'm working through the specifics, but we might try to have a Bosco's Boys tailgate party before a baseball game. And, again, ESPN Plus, uh, I, I've been more plugged into, you know, outside of the big two sports because of ESPN Plus. I know everyone likes to complain about it, but you get to hear Brian Smaller, you get to hear the entire, honestly, group of great announcers associated with K-State. I won't mush about you guys a lot. Uh, people can go to my Twitter account, but the – uh, radio and TV talent in uh, at K-State is second to none. And you get to see, hear that on the radio. You get to hear on ESPN Plus and even, you know, PA out at the game. So follow the baseball team. But I want to get Brian on to talk about the women's team because we've been following them a lot. And, and I think that a lot of K-State fans really started following this team really closely. Aoka Lee has that record-setting performance and I recall the night where K-State is playing Iowa State in that game in Bramlage that goes down to the wire. There are people in the arena. K-State Twitter's live tweeting it. The game doesn't go that way. And from that moment, uh, things kind of sputtered a little bit. Going into that game, that the first seed announcement had K-State even hosting uh, games as a four seed. Was it just kind of as simple as, you know, this team is still very young and when – teams get a second look at you that they're able to key in on it is there something that happened down the stretch that kind of led to the slow end of conference play is there anything to put your finger on it and why why do you think that was well, I think it's a lot of the things that you mentioned there it's certainly a disappointing end of the season in that regard but listen K-State's probably about a year ahead of schedule from where they thought they would be they've lost quite a bit in the offseason um, some of it was Chrissy Carr moving on to Syracuse and then Rachel Ranke's injury but that's you know, that's a good 30, 35 points right there and significant outside shooting that you lost that was a weapon to balance out the inside presence of Aoka Lee. So there were some question marks going into this season of who was going to run the point guard spot, you know, who's going to help lift up scoring. Then all of a sudden, these three freshmen starting for K-State just took the world by gangbusters and, and had no fear coming in and played great. I, I think what you said there was accurate. Second time through this league is very difficult. Being teams are very, very well coached. They know how to scout you. They know your pressure points. And the Wildcats just kind of ran out of gas. I think on that guard spot, freshmen and their depth was a little bit tested because of the um, lack of depth of injuries. And so coupled all that, plus, you know, you kind of go through that drag of, of the late February, early part of March before you get to the end of the season trying to figure out where you're at and going through school and all that sort of stuff. Those aren't excuses. I think it's just a way of, of describing what happened with K-State. They didn't play very well in, in down the stretch, didn't hit as many shots. I think they found their footing a little bit here at the end of the regular season, into the tournament. I thought they played very well in Kansas City. Texas had to play their best game to win that game. 
they hit seven threes, and for a team that shoots 63% of the line, they hit 25 of 28 free throws. That's just uncharacteristic for Texas. They did it. They played great, and they ended up beating K-State by one or two possessions, and then they go on to win the championship. So I, I think you're encouraged by K-State's performance in the tournament. Hopefully they've got a second win for them and can build on it going here into the postseason. And again, if you kind of look to the women's schedule is so condensed and, you know, the men's teams also have a condensed schedule, but they finally get a long break to catch their win to maybe get a little healthier. I, I'm encouraged by it. And I was tuning into the selection show and I know what my initial reaction was. I, I want to get your reaction first. First to uh, the, the bigger one is going to come second. What was your reaction? What was the team's reaction when they saw that they were going to go to a place where they've already played this year. And if they are to get past the first round, play one of the number one seeds that they had already played, is it, do they see that as a bonus because they saw NC State earlier in the year? Or do, do they kind of feel a little slighted, like saying, you know what, what why, why are we having to see a team that we've already played this year? Because typically the NCAA tournament likes to avoid that in the second round. Now, there's not a hard and fast rule about it with conference foes, but they historically, they like to not see that at least until the Sweet 16. What was your reaction and what was kind of the internal team reaction? Well, I, you're accurate. That's absolutely right. That the, team, the NCAA tournament does a very good job of trying to avoid as many of those matchups as possible. And I think in K-State's case and NC State, I think it was unavoidable in some respects only because of how many other Big 12 games landed on the 8-9 line. And truthfully, the conference has had a bad reputation of reputation is probably the bad word, but maybe bad fortune of they beat up on each other enough during the season. But the conference is rated high enough that they end up getting a pretty good seed. But it always falls. It always falls in that purgatory line of eight, nine, which in the women's game, there is a, a, a larger disparity between the number one seeds and everyone else. The women's game has grown in parity, but it's not gotten to the point where ones are are definitely in danger of the eight nine it hasn't quite happened yet that said k-state's going to a place where they played pretty well that nc state game they ended up losing by double figures but that was a that was a close game going into the fourth quarter and, and it wasn't until late in the fourth that nc state was pulling away in that game now that's you know many moons ago the teams were both different finding each other out at that point but I think that gives K-State some confidence. Listen, you played well in that building and certainly have no way of being intimidated by going up against NC State. They had a huge crowd for that game with the matchup inside between Aoka Lee and Alyssa Kinane, who they both were named today All-Americans, uh, second team All-Americans. So uh, it's a great post battle. I think the teams match up pretty well. NC State is a tremendous offensive team that shoots the ball very well. K-State's going to have to match that, which they did in the first meeting. That'll be the difference in the second meeting if they get that far, right, which is, I'm sure, the next question, which uh, you still got to win the first one to get to that matchup with NC State. But I'm sure if you ask Wes Moore, the head coach of NC State, I don't imagine they're already perturbed about having to be in the UConn bracket with that bracket funneling through Bridgeport, giving UConn basically a home game for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Now, I'm sure they're not terribly happy about the fact they got to play K-State again in their home gym, a team they already played, that isn't going to be intimidated and matches up pretty well with them. So I'd imagine they're not too pleased about it. No, I, I think that uh, I would say that down in North Carolina, they're not a happy program right now. Let's get to really what was the highlight. And, you know, I, I was aware of it. I don't know if as many, I, I'm sure some, the, the real basketball fans 
uh, realize it, but that matchup with Washington State. Now, you look up and down their coaching roster, you see quite a few familiar names. And I think that there's going to be a lot of motivation on, you know, the Crimson and Gray bench, as well as Jeff Mitty's bench, because for better or worse, you know, Deb, I think Deb's only the Dobo, but, you know, it's it's a group littered with former K-Staters. And even you have Kirk Schultz, the president at Washington State. You know, I, I'm sure that Jeff Mitty is going to want to prove himself because he will probably always be compared to the Deb Patterson era. Deb and all the, basically, I think, what, all but one pe- person on that staff has ties to K-State. They're going to want to get it over on a team that maybe they feel that they were uh, kind of unceremoniously let go from. Uh, when you saw that flash up, what was your initial reaction? I was stunned uh, in some respects. A lot of the talk on Washington State had been them as a lower seed, as a 10. Uh, really hadn't heard much about them moving up to the eight line. Now, they finished great. Uh, Kenny Etheridge, the associate head coach here for 18 years, and now is the head coach there, uh, was named the Pac-12 coach of the year by the media after they finished tied for third in the conference. And they had some notable wins. They won in Arizona. Uh, they gave Stanford everything they can handle in the last game of, uh, towards the end of the season, second to last game of the year. And Stanford, of course, is red hot right now, maybe the hottest team in the country. So they played well, but it, they didn't really have a whole lot of significant wins to the non-conference and mostly beat up on the lower half of the Pac-12. Bottom half of the Pac-12 really struggled this year. So they they made their hay against that bottom half. Now, that's not take away from anything from Washington State. Good teams beat who you're supposed to. But because of that, their net ranking was a little bit lower in the 50s. You kind of thought, well, all right, they're going to probably be a 10. So there hadn't been much talk that they would be in the 8-9 listing. So when that popped up, of course, with the storylines, um, your, your immediately thought was stunned. It's just, wow, I can't believe that that happened. And then, oh, my, what what an interesting matchup this is going to be. Ironically, uh, Deb Patterson, along with Cami Etheridge and Lori Kane, who is also on the staff, the all-time three-point shooter here at K-State, were just here. Uh, they were here in the fall for Lori Kane's induction into the K-State Hall of Fame, and all three came back. And uh, I know Coach Mitty and Coach Patterson shared a lot of a long conversation. Uh, I got to talk with Coach P for a while, and uh, you know, a lot of those 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 animosity feelings that probably were there and and maybe justified when it when it happened were were pretty much gone. I think everybody's kind of moved on. A lot of the same people that were here then are not here. Uh, there are very few that are still here as far as administratively. And the ones that have stayed around have stayed in contact with them and, and it seemed to be all somewhat smoothed over. I know Lori was gracious and was great in her introduction speech. Coach Patterson was great. I know Jeff Mitty even talked with Coach Patterson about, hey, get ready to be back here someday for your own induction and, and banner raising, all those sorts of things. So um, I don't think there's as much animosity as there might've been in the past, but sure, all coaches have that right down the burning desire, what fuels them. Great athletes have it as well. I'm sure they're, they want to get over on K-State and prove a point just as Jeff Biddy would love to prove the point that he's the right man for the job here at K-State. So when folks look at this matchup, you know, I, I think anytime K-State is going to get a win, as long as Aoka Lee is here, you know, you put that, you know, bullet one, a, of who needs to be clicking. I think we all know she needs a score, probably needs to grab a double-double, swat a couple shots. Beyond that, what are you really going to be keyed in on, you know, in the first quarter of this matchup to see if this might be a night, or I guess I should say a morning that is going to go in favor of K-State? Right. Well, I'll say this. Washington State, for those that don't know, has a heavy international flavor. So because of Lori Kane's 
connections with her international play over the years. And Washington State as a school is very good about international studies. They have really embraced that as part of their recruiting uh, sort of philosophy. So you got, you know, obviously the two stars that are from New Zealand, the, the Ledger Walker girls, um, they are, they're phenomenal. Uh, the older one is obviously a, a, a player of the year candidate in the Pac-12 every year. She's a tremendous scorer. She started at Northern Colorado, transferred with that staff over to Washington State. She brought, came back for a COVID season, is their leading scorer. She's, uh, you know, kind of like an Ashley Jones type, you know, kind of will do it all of Iowa State. And they are comparable to an Iowa State. I don't think they shoot it quite as well as Iowa State from behind the arc, but that's kind of their game. They have some size inside, but it's really ancillary to their to their shooting ability. And then their defense. They're, they're a very good defensive team that comes up with a lot of different concepts. So I think the one thing that I would look at is that Knowing Coach Etheridge and Coach Patterson and that staff, they will come up with a very good game plan to try and limit K-State's guards' ability to get the ball to Aoka Lee, since they don't quite have the size to match up with Aoka inside. Uh, the guard prevention and, and guard pressure is really where K-State has run into up against it a couple times this year towards the end of the season. So that'll be, I'm sure, the goal from NC State. And of course, how the game's called, you know, it, and I hate to say that, but just like in baseball, we talk about it with strike zones. Different games have different strike zones. Different basketball games have different flavors. If, are they going to let them play and, and be physical? Uh, and if it's going to be called tight, how do you adjust? I don't think K-State did a very good job of that in Kansas City, and it hurt them. They got into foul trouble early. Most of the games in KC had been called very light, as in physical, just let them play. It was like roller derby out there. And then K-State's game against Texas was called very tight. And K-State did not do a good job of adjusting to that, and it hurt them down the stretch. So you got to be mindful of that, I think, in this matchup. is You can't get Ioka into foul trouble. You can't get Serena Sundell into foul trouble. Both were in foul trouble in Kansas City, and K-State can't survive that. So they, they've got to be mindful of that, play smart, and hopefully have themselves a good day and get an opportunity to play on Monday against NC State. I'm glad you brought up Serena because, you know, she – I believe had a case to be the freshman of the year. I, and I think Aoka obviously had a case to be the big 12 player of the year. There's been a very decorated uh, past in case say individual players, but I don't, I think it's been a long time where you've seen a inside out where it is true to players who can feed off of each other like that. That's what I think makes them dangerous for anyone in this tournament. Um, if they are to get past Washington state, which is going to, it's going to be a battle. I I'm at my alarm. So I, I cannot wait for that game. Uh, but do you think that they have that ability to, if they, you know, upset uh, North Carolina, say again, something that doesn't have happen often and just make some noise and really bring the women's basketball world back to Manhattan, looking right at them this year and then setting up again, we have the tournament, but you look at those two coming back. You look at the Glenn sisters. You look at the recruiting class coming in next year. I can't help but have at least half an eye looking at next year possibly being a very special season. Do you think this is almost kind of the precursor to what the 22-23 season could be? No, undoubtedly. I think that's well said. I think they are for sure targeting next year as the year that they would really begin. Now, they'll be young again next year because the, the, the recruiting class that's coming in this year and then the year after, they're very excited about. Uh, it'll be a top 25 class uh, next year, maybe top 15. It, it's uh, it's loaded. 
You have Jemiah Harris, who just won state tournament MVP down in Texas, uh, coming out of DeSoto, which is the nation's number two high school ranked team. She's on a, a team that's littered with D1 prospects, played against a team that's littered with D1 prospects and dropped the game high 16 or 17 points, won the state championship game and won the tournament MVP. Um, phenomenal guard that'll be coming in. Physical guard, can shoot the basketball. And then, you know, the headline of the class is Eliza Malpin, who is a young lady from St. Louis at 6'4 that can dunk. So, um, you know, as a power forward, so you're, you're bringing her in and adding to that Yoka Lee and with the talent you already have coming back. So you're going to have a lot of freshmen and sophomores starting perhaps for K-State next year. But to your point, you're getting gravy right now in experience and you're getting postseason experience. You're experiencing success. You're experiencing winning together, which is all part of it. You're experiencing what, how tough it is to go through the Big 12. So you know exactly what you need to do to prepare yourself mentally and physically uh, I'm very excited about the prospects of this year's team. And regardless of what happens in the tournament coming up, I think this team has far exceeded what I thought they could do. Incredibly excited about Jeff, Jeff Mitty and his staff and what they've done and, and who they have on staff and the culture of this team, which is largely set by Sundell and freshmen, just their, their sort of attitude and how they approach it, just gym rats, so to speak. Um, it's very exciting. It's very great. It's, it's, it's interesting how quickly it's changed here in, in, in two years, you know, just, one or two players. And, and that's to say, I guess, uh, Bill Snyder was always one to say you could bring everybody back and the culture's different. So it, that's not assuming that it's all going to be great and, and the same next year. But knowing the individuals that we have and the good leaders that K-State has, I think you feel pretty confident that women's basketball is, again, going to be something worth watching in the next couple of years. Definitely. And it is good to see them back in the postseason play. And we've touched on the history you know, you look up in the rafters in Bramlage, you see some of those names, you look at the Hall of Fame, and it's just good to have that excitement around the program again. And, and I'm pumped to watch them play versus Washington State. Um, I'm not going to, you know, get you to make a prediction. You know, my, my prediction is Cats win by six. I'm not going to make you do a prediction, but uh, we touched on it a little bit. If they are to win, we always do four keys to V in basketball or in football. You've given me a couple of them, but what is just one more thing that you would tell K-State fans who are watching that game, 1030 ESPN 2, 1030 AM ESPN 2. I'll be watching it. Tweet with me, K-State fans. But if you're going to say, hey, this is the number one thing to key in on, what what are you telling us to watch? It's got, it sounds so simple, right? Score the basketball. Uh, Jim Woolridge would always say, score the ball. Um, they got to hit shots. K-State, if they're, when they hit outside shots, they are virtually unbeatable because of Aoka Lee inside. So, you know, if it's a zone defense that's thrown at K-State, we've seen a couple of teams dare. KU did this when the Wildcats went over to Lawrence and lost. Uh, Kansas just said, all right, everybody shoot the three. We don't care. Uh, and K-State couldn't hit it. They went, what, it was like, like one of uh, like 25 from behind the arc. I mean, just a stupefying bad number. So they, they have to be able to hit threes and the earlier, the better. I think if, so I guess my key would be Jalen Glenn, Briley Glenn. If those young ladies, Serena, they hit threes in the first quarter, that's good news for K-State because it builds confidence. You kind of get rolling a little bit. It opens things up inside for Aoka Lee. And then you got to continue to hit threes. And if you can do that in that gym and that first game, maybe it helps you in the second game if you get to that point and are fortunate enough to match up with NC State. So that to me is the key of the game is it's K-State's three-point shooting. Can they hit threes 
to open things up because without the dunk, without, you know, some of the athleticism in the, in the women's game that you see on the men's side, three point shot is the biggest weapon on the women's side and the teams that can do it, especially when you have a center like Aoka Lee, who is as dominant as she is game changer. You can, you can, you can own team. So the three point shot can K-State come out and hit threes. They'll be in great shape. Perfect. I appreciate it, Brian. I, I'll say this, I'll just give you a heads up. If we get past Washington State, I might be trying to scramble to, you know, get get five minutes of your time on Sunday. I know you'll be busy, but uh, if not, I'll get, I'll try my best to give a preview for the Boneheads for that rematch with NC State uh, if we get that win. I'm excited for it. Again, you'll be on the radio call. I'm probably going to have to try to dub and try to get everything matched up so I can hear you while watching the game. Uh, because, you know, I, I don't know who's going to be on the call on ESPN, too, but it's never as good as you. So I appreciate you giving me your time. Safe travels out to North Carolina. And I, I know I can speak for all the boneheads. We're pulling very hard for this women's team. And we're I'm ecstatic to see them kind of getting back to that level that I remember growing up with. Because, again, as someone who was born in 91, the first dominant basketball I have like in my memory it's the women's team. And it is very good to see that. And again, I'll say this, you know, regardless of what happens this year, there's going to be some magic in Bramlage next year uh, with Jeff Mitty in that squad. So I'm very excited to see this level of play back in the women's game. Uh, thanks, Scott. Appreciate that. Thanks to all the boneheads for their support, obviously. Uh, and looking forward to seeing you guys, uh, not only at games next year, but also uh, at baseball games coming up this spring. Yes, and as baseball season continues, again, I'm going to be sliding in your DMs and bugging you to try to get you to come on. So, again, grateful for your time. And then uh, we'll have a musical interlude and what we'll kind of give the final take of the week for the uh, coaching search. But, again, one more time, folks, 10.30 a.m. You know, it should be easy to get up that time with the time change. I don't want any excuses. ESPN2, Cats versus Cougars, it's going to be fun. Thank you again to Brian Smoller, who took time out of his insanely busy schedule to talk to me to preview the uh, K-State Wazoo game, 10.30 a.m. on ESPN2 Saturday morning. Uh, You know, great man. Brian Smoller is one of my favorite people that I have been able to link up with um, since starting this podcast, since Grant and I started this podcast four years ago, and... uh, one of the greatest folks to do it. So I'm going to end end the show talking about what, what we know. We're a week into the search. Um, who knows what's going to happen over the weekend. Um, you know, I'll, I'll probably wait pretty late into Sunday before I record just in case something uh, pops because he, here's what I believe is going to happen now. Some of this is based on talking to folks. Some of this is based on just context clues. Some of this is based on uh, just critical thinking of what's what I believe is going to happen uh, with this search. And I think that probably starting late Sunday night into Monday is going to be maybe the busiest 36 hours 
when it comes to trying to lock in who the next head coach at K-State is going to be. Um, I, I think things are going to move fast. I think that there is a very real chance that by late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, um, K-State at least will know who their next head coach is. Now, we'll, when will it get leaked out through the press? When will it become official? A lot of that's going to depend on who it is. There are two front runners. We all know the two front runners at this point. Jerome Tang, uh, the associate head coach at Baylor, been with Scott Drew for 19 years, been there the entire time. The guy has seen up close and personal what Bramlage can look like when the fan base is engaged, when they have a contender, when the students are out in full force. He's seen he's seen K-State's atmosphere at its best. He's intimately familiar with the Big 12. He knows what it's going to take to win. And he's ready to become a head coach. He's been linked with the K-State job. He's been linked with every single SEC job that's open. Um, and I personally, I'm, I'm getting to the point where the more and more I dig into him, the more and more I'm starting to think he maybe should be the guy. Now, I'm, I'm not jumping off of Brad. I'm not saying I, I'm, I'm not going to be elated if it is Brad Underwood. I'm, I'm not doing any of that. But I challenge folks to dive into whatever you can find on Jerome Tang in the handful of times he's spoken to the media um, and see what some of the players say about him and not think that this might be the guy and dive into what he's been responsible for at Baylor, how much Scott Drew leans on him. And, and again, he, he's a guy who was the right-hand man of the single greatest turnaround in basketball history. And it's not even close. When it comes to turnarounds in basketball history, what Scott Drew and Jerome Tang did at Baylor is second to none, and I don't even know what the closest second would be. I don't even know what the closest second would be. Now, he's not Scott Drew. You're not hiring the guy who did it. You are hiring his right-hand man. Um, but it's, but that hasn't stopped K-State fans from pining over super successful assistant coaches before. You know, everyone's favorite guy was Brent Venables because of how elite of a defensive coordinator he was at Oklahoma, what he was able to do at Clemson. Big difference being is the alumni factor. And that's that's what brings in everyone else's favorite and still probably my favorite. I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, all things equal, I'm taking Tang over Brad. That's not what I'm saying. But not everything is in a vacuum. And Brad is the choice for fan engagement. Brad, Brad is the choice for bringing back the doom. Brad is the easy choice. He has he he's a successful head coach. I, I get all this, but not everything is in a vacuum. Now, anyone you talk to connected to K State, Derek Young, Kellis Robinette, Tim Fitzgerald at Go Powercat as well. At everyone who covers K-State for their living will tell you that we've been in contact with Brad 
since the job opened. That we've been working on a way to try to find the solution. Working for a way to make it work. Now, maybe I'm getting paranoid. Maybe I'm looking too much into things. But here's the thing. If you can't make it work over seven days... And again, I'm I'm sure they have talked through fine details. I'm sure they've talked through logistics. I'm, I'm sure they've talked through salary, all this type of stuff. But at this point, it's definitely not a done deal. Not not a done deal. And very few people have probably said that it's you know even gotten past midfield. If you want to mix your sports, uh, you know metaphors. But at this point, if you can't get it past midfield, if you can't get it over the finish line by Monday, which then it would be about nine, ten days being in contact with them, trying to figure it out, you you have to cut bait. That's where I am. I and, and again, I I've said a lot of things over the four years um, that have come back to look stupid that I've been wrong, but I don't think. That you can continue to work on Brad to try to get the yes at the risk of losing out on Tang. I talked about it with Derek Young, you know, Thursday show. Tang could be announced at Missouri at any point. I'm sure he's going to be on South Carolina's list, Mississippi State's list, maybe even Florida's list. I don't think he would go to LSU. Um, Kim Mulkey's there. I, I and I think LSU is going to try to swing bigger. So I don't. I don't think LSU is realistic. But every day you continue to chase Brad. Every day you try to make it happen. Try to thread the needle with Brad. Is another day closer you are to losing out on your number two candidate. And there are people who are in the room interviewing the coaches. There are people who are making decisions. There are people on the search committee and on the search firm that would firmly put Jerome Tang in front of Brad Underwood after talking to him. Again, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not saying I would. But there are people out there that would. That that would say even in a vacuum they would take Jerome Tang. And every day you're trying to thread the needle with Brad. And if you can't get it done, and again, you won't be able to announce it. I'm recording this Thursday evening at 8.32. So obviously he hasn't even tipped off in his first game. So obviously nothing can be announced. But if you if you don't have an agreement in place and the assurance that he is not going to then turn around and tell Illinois to match it, you know, if, if you can't, get him to back up his words saying that he that K-State is his dream job because I'm quite confident and again I, I'm not in the room I'm not seeing any contracts I'm not seeing text messages I'm again I only have hearsay to go off of but again I, I, I like to think I know some folks who know some folks as John Kurtz tried to quote uh uh, Jay-Z, I ain't passed the bar, but I know a little bit. You know, that's John Kurtz quoting Jay-Z. 
I, I think that you have to basically call Brad on it and say, look, is this really your dream job? Like you, you've wanted us to believe, that you've wanted K-State fans to believe, that you've wanted the donors to believe. Here's a comparable to slightly better contract than what you currently have at Illinois. If you're not willing to step up and take it and agree to it right now, then we have to move on. Gene Taylor, the folks in in the room, the people making these decisions have to be able be ready to make the tough call. Again, at this point, there are different points at the search that I thought that if it was going to be Brad, it was going to be agreed upon uh, verbally before they tipped off. And again, nothing can be formally announced until their season's done. But the fact that they're getting ready to tip off, the fact that there is really no smoke leading towards this happening at this point. You know, there, there's been some there's been some sparks. You know, Wednesday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, it, it was seeming like, okay, you know, there's some stuff going on. But if it goes flat quiet, and if anything, there's starting to be a groundswell support for Jerome Tang from a lot of folks who know what they're talking about, who might have an idea, that all signals to me that things have hit a wall. Now, again, I, I've now spent six minutes speculating on tiny little pieces of hearsay. But I something in, in my gut for... About 24 hours just hasn't felt right about the about going after Brad. Now this could all look stupid. I could I could be recording something Sunday night and be saying, ah, eh, you know, everything's changed. The the smoke is there. Thinking it's gonna be Brad and it might be announced this week because you know they got bounced by UT Chattanooga or lost to Houston in the round of 32. He might be in Manhattan by Tuesday or Wednesday. You know, again, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have the best sources in the world and that I, I know everything because I don't. As much as I want to pretend and even as much as, you know, if I acted like that, maybe we'd get more downloads and I'd get more clicks on Twitter. That's that's not what I'm saying. But in my gut, I just don't feel good about Brad anymore. And this is the first time I, I've like truly been there. Um, hopefully it turns around. But again, I, I, I think that if, if you're not if you're not getting somewhere, if you're not getting some sort of finality by end of day Monday, it needs to it needs to turn around. You need to go all in on Tang. Um, so that's all I got. Um, again, it, there's always going to be a show on Monday as long as this show is going. Something catastrophic would have to happen for there not to be a show on a Monday. So we're going to have a Monday show. Um, Depending on the smoke, depending on what's happening, we might go one show a, a, a day the entire next week. Uh, my official prediction is we will do a show uh, every day next week, and I, I think it is going to feature an announcement. I, I think we will hear who the next head coach at Kansas State is for basketball, and I, I hope it's Jerome Tang. If it's not Underwood, I hope it's Jerome Tang. Because I'm not going to have to fake announcement. I'm not uh, excitement. I'm not going to have to uh, convince myself that this is a great hire. Um, all that to be said, 
there are there are so many there are a lot of qualified candidates there's a lot of great basketball coaches it's not just those two but I'm human like everyone else and I, I I've zeroed in versus McCaslin then it was tang as the number two guy to Brad and I, I like I said I'm a human I'm a fan just like you guys so if it's not one of those two guys, I still believe in Gene Taylor. You know, I, I was, I was, I melted down at the idea of Chris Kleiman early, but Gene Taylor is good at his job. Gene Taylor knows what he's doing, and he made the tough decision. Hiring your friend isn't the easy call. He made the tough decision because he knew it was right. I believe that he will make the right decision here. And I believe in the rollout, the plan, the marketing strategy around this to create excitement, no matter who it is. So I I predict that we will hear next week. Um, I don't think we'll hear it in time for like by the time I'm recording on Sunday for the Monday show. But anything I hear, I'll I'll continue to do this again. This is a massive search and, and maybe I'll go deeper into it on Sunday, assuming there isn't uh, a lot of news Uh, go into why this is such a massive hire, why this is such a massive pinnacle moment in K-State men's basketball. Um, You know, I I think that'll be the premise unless some news comes out. So I appreciate everyone downloading. Again, uh, coaching searches are great for downloads. Um, It's it's been a fun week talking to everyone. It's been a fun week interacting on Twitter. Uh, The the ColorCast live show that we did – that I did right before I hopped on here was a lot of fun. This is fun. This is it's a there's a lot of excitement in coaching searches as a uh, college sports fan. I think we're gonna get some finality next week, and I'm excited for the new era of K State basketball, uh, whether it's Underwood, Tang, or anyone, uh, because I, I truly do believe in the leadership of the athletic department, um, and they're gonna get it done. So. Uh, stay tuned. Again, we're going to have a show on Monday. And also, folks, massive game for the K-State women. 10.30 uh, a.m. versus Washington State. Again, we we have talked. I talked with Brian Smoller at the top of this show about how important a game that is, uh, not only for this season, but to build the hype and to get ready for what might be a monumental season next year. Um, you have the storylines of the former K-Staters leading Washington State, going against the coaching staff that took their job. Um, there's a lot of fun storylines. And again, it could be the last time you get to see Aoka Lee in that trio of very special freshmen until uh, October or November. So make sure you dial in. Uh, I'll, I'll be live tweeting. I'll be talking about it. And hell, if we get that win, I might have to try to get in touch with uh, Brian Smoller or someone else to throw together just a, a quick little preview uh pod uh release it on sunday or in uh, in combination of the regular monday show so we love you guys this is a lot of fun it's always a good day to be a kansas state wildcat and i i'll say this right now we're going to be dancing next year and i don't think it matters who the coach is we're going to be dancing grant is always going to be waiting for you at the cat head Go find him. Hail to the purple, hail to the white, wildcat in spirit, wildcat in fire.
Podcast Network.